You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguda, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. Still the bloody international break. It's dragging, it's dull, it feels like it's never ending. And as a consequence of Arsenal having not played for a hell of a long time now, there's very little to talk about. Which is why I decided today that I was going to do a Q&A show. Now, the reason I like doing these Q&A shows every now and then is because what tends to happen when you you run a podcast and and you you're on social media and stuff often at the end of tweets or at the end of kind of shows that you put out you will get questions asked by the listeners that you miss and sometimes i look back at them afterwards and i go shit should have answered that shit completely missed that shit totally didn't see it so what i wanted to do was give you guys the opportunity an entire show where we can literally just talk about basically whatever the hell you want. Because for me, as I say, or as I said in the post about this show, I'm, I see you guys as the chronicles of Aguna family, as the community, because without you guys, I wouldn't have had half the opportunities I've had because the podcast has been at the center of everything good that I've got to do over the last couple of years. So I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to ask whatever questions you want. They can be about Arsenal. They can be about me. They can be about the wider footballing world. They can be about anything. They can be about trying to get into this industry. They can be about anything that you guys want. Honestly, the forum is yours. And we've got a load of questions already on our YouTube post on Twitter. Um, and I'm going to be taking a selection of those throughout the course of the show. But also, if you are watching us live feel free to put your questions in the chat box as well. And we'll take some of those too. And remember, there is no filter here. You can ask whatever you want. Can't guarantee I'll answer it, but you can ask at least whatever you want. Right, let's um, let's kick off with some of the questions from Twitter uh, because I, I want to do the Twitter bit first because I often say, let's do Q&As or let's do something to do with whatever subject and I ask you guys to put questions on Twitter and then midway through the show or during the show, I get so bogged down in the YouTube chat that I almost miss or I do miss everything that's being asked on Twitter. And that's not really fair. So I want to at least start with Twitter so that I make sure that I don't overlook uh, that straight away. But right, let's uh, let's kick off with this one um, from uh, Chris, which is not a football related one, not an Arsenal related one, but that's absolutely fine. He says, if you could live in a classic cartoon, which one would it be and why? This might be a little bit left field, but I'll tell you where I would live. Do you remember the Jetsons where they lived in this high tech kind of um, high tech kind of world? I think that might be it for me. The Jetsons or do I take it to the complete opposite extreme and go with the Flintstones? Tough one. Tough one, but I think I'm going to lead, lean towards the Jetsons because of all the cool futuristic gadgets. Um, is that classed as a classic cartoon? It is to me. If you're my age, it's a classic cartoon. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'll go with that. I think I'll go with that. The Jetsons. A great question. And, and that's the kind of 
interesting stuff that is always uh, always a bit of fun as well, aside from the serious football talk all the time. Uh, so thank you, Chris, very much for that one. Uh, let's take this one from Sam Tonks, who says, are there any players that have left Arsenal for rivals or big clubs that you still admire? He says, for example, I love Fabregas, Sanchez, Van Persie to a point just for my memories of them at Arsenal. Loving the grind on the pod this year, mate. Sam, thank you. Um, and it's a really, really good question. It really, really is. Because I think what happens as fans is is we are most of the time very, very tribal. But what I always say is that time heals most things. And I think when you look at some of the, the top players that we had in the past um, that left, that walked away at times where we really needed them, you can look back at some of those and, and still feel quite bitter and frustrated and angry and disappointed. And I think for me, there are a lot of those. I think Ashley Cole one will always hurt. Um, I've never forgiven Ashley Cole and I never will. Uh, because I, the, the reason being, because Arsenal, you know, when we started to lose people like Cesc Fabregas and Robin Van Persie and Sami Nasri, it's because we weren't competing at the very top. It's because we were no longer capable of competing at the very top. And so those players decided that they needed to move on because they wanted to win things or wanted to challenge right at the top of the division and challenge for European Cups. And look, that is a very valid reason as a footballer to want to move on. You've got to remember that a lot of these players, they're not Arsenal fans. They didn't grow up like we did, supporting the club, loving the club, adoring the club. And so for them, it's not that big a deal. It isn't as big of a decision as it would be to somebody like me if I were ever lucky enough to be in that position. But the Ashley Cole one hurt because of the timing of it. When Ashley Cole left Chelsea, there was nothing to suggest that Arsenal were no longer going to be able to compete at the top of the division. They were local rivals. We were starting to develop quite a, a strong rivalry with them. And the way he went about it, the secret meeting and all of that and, and getting found out and getting his picture taken, et cetera, et cetera. That was really hard to take as an Arsenal fan. It was a bitter pill to swallow. And so for me, I never forgave someone like Ashley Cole. But then I look at somebody like Robin Van Persie and I totally understand why he left. And I admired him after he left Arsenal because he still produced an incredibly high level of performance week in, week out. Got his Premier League title in the end. But the fact it was Man United really hurt. Um, you know, the, the one that hurt me because I didn't want to lose him, but I understood the most was the, the Fabregas one, right? Because Cesc Fabregas, you're talking about a lad who grew up in Barcelona, whose first love was Barcelona, who always wanted to return home. And the opportunity came along. And at that point, Arsenal were not competitive right at the top of the Premier League. At that point, it was clear that we were no longer one of the favourites to win the Premier League title. And Cesc Fabregas was part of a, a, a very small group within the club that were helping us get into the Champions League season after season. That one, I understood it. It hurt because I loved him and I adored him, but it I understood that one and I got that one. Don't necessarily agree 100% with the way he went about it. But I got it, you know, and, and that one I got over pretty quickly. I think the hard bit with the Fabregas one was then when he went on to, to join Chelsea. But you've got to remember that the opportunity for Arsenal to re-sign him was there. And we as a football club, Arsene Wenger, as the boss, chose not to take that up. So 
he's one for me. And Cesc Fabregas obviously still plays the game. He's one that I, I still admire. And when I look back at old games, and I, I did a lot of this during the first lockdown, when the lockdown was really strict and really serious here, I found a website that had full games from the past on it. And I was looking back at some of those Champions League games against Barcelona, the win in Milan, where Fabregas scored that fantastic goal. And I was kind of watching those games back and sitting there thinking, man, we're a million miles off of this now. But Cesc Fabregas was one of the players that really, really stood out. So, yeah, still got a lot of admiration for him. Um, I still think Alexis Sanchez is a very good player. Um, you know, it's not gone as he'd have liked at Inter, but I still think he's got something to offer if he plays week in, week out. I think for him, leaving Arsenal was a massive mistake and it's proven to be the case since because he's, you know, he's not lived up to the hype. He went to Manchester United. He was a flop. He's gone to Inter and he's not really pulled up any trees there either. So they're players that I admire for what they did at Arsenal. Don't necessarily agree with the way they left, but I get it with those two because of, as I say, the position Arsenal were in and the 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 lack of, I, I guess, the, the, the fact that we were not very competitive right at the top of the table and these were world-class players. I think you have to kind of accept and understand that they were going to move on, um, you know, especially given where Arsenal were at that point. But... Yeah, you know, players I admire, Fabregas, Alexis. I admired Van Persie as a footballer. Just could never get past the fact that he joined Man United. For me, that was that was tough. And and I grew up at the height of that Arsenal Man United rivalry. So it's not one I take lightly. Um, that was tough. That was tough. Um, that's not to say that just because I, you know, I understand um, why some of these players decided to leave. That I didn't boo them when they came back. Oh, I absolutely did because I was a petulant kid. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, moving on, uh, let's uh, let's take this one from uh, Harv Reynolds. He says, uh, Wilshire, does it not make sense to sign him even on the short term, considering how light we are in that midfield area? I'm 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 torn on this because look, at the end of the day, Jack Wilshire left Arsenal because it wasn't working out. Jack Wilshire left Arsenal because ultimately he couldn't stay fit long enough or wasn't available frequently enough to, to have an impact on Arsenal as we moved forward. And he was told that he his place in the side was not guaranteed and he took it upon himself to leave the club and go and sign elsewhere. Now, he's gone on record as saying since then that it was a mistake, that he regrets it and he probably wouldn't be in the position he is now, which is 29 years old without a club, had he decided to stay at Arsenal. So there's definitely a bit of regret on Wilshire's part. Do I think he can be useful now in 2021? Honestly, no. Um, I, I just don't think physically that he's up to it. I, I really don't. I think that the Premier League has become so much more demanding in that sense. And I think that Jack Wilshire just isn't capable. His body isn't capable of playing at that level um, week in, week out of playing with that kind of intensity. But having said that, I think technically he's a fantastic footballer. I think he's got a lot of valuable experience that he can share with the young players around the club when it comes to firstly breaking into the team, how to do that, how to manage your own kind of development, how to manage your own expectations of yourself, how to integrate with more senior players. 
I, I think he can offer a lot in that sense. I think he can also offer a lot when it comes to injuries. You know, you, you talk about him being injured all the time and obviously that was a negative and it feels like a negative. But I think he would have learned a lot about how to cope with that situation from having experienced it. And there will be young players. You know, we saw it with Gabriel Martinelli last year where he picked up an injury that kept him out for a period of time. And a lot of us were sitting there going, my God, it's the last thing you want as a young player coming through is to pick up an injury that severe that's going to keep you out for that long. Really important that it's managed properly and that his recovery is not only managed well from a kind of medical perspective in terms of making sure he's not doing too much too soon and, and making sure they manage his workload, but also how does a young man cope with that mentally? And I think that's something that as a young man, you will never prepare for, right? You'll never, as a 18, 19 year old, go out on a training pitch and think, shit, I might get injured today. I've got to be careful. You're fearless at that age. It doesn't even come into your mind. So to then get hit bang by something that serious, I think can be a mental drain. I think it can be a real blow for a young, young footballer. And I think someone like Jack Wilshere, who's been through that, not just once, not just twice, but on multiple occasions, has had long periods on the sidelines. I think he's got a lot to give in terms of coaching, experience, um, being someone for people to lean on. But as a player, I'm not interested in signing him. I've got to be honest, you know, a lot of people... I believe are letting the nostalgia kind of run wild and, and allowing themselves to get sucked into this world where they think that Jack Wilshire, you know, is is capable of coming into the side. Me personally, right now, I wouldn't do it. But look, if you're looking at him in training, if you're the manager and you're seeing him up close every day and you feel he can offer something, then I'm not completely opposed to it. I just, for me, if you gave me the choice right now, I'm not sure it's the right thing. And what kind of message does that send to somebody like Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who you've refused the opportunity to move away because he's part of your plans? He's insisting that he wants to play midfield. You're giving him a few cameo roles there, you know, every sort of once in a blue moon as a late sub, etc. And then you're going to bring Jack Wilshire in. And then what? Is Jack Wilshire going to be behind Ainsley Maitland-Niles in the pecking order? In which case, there's no point in signing him. There you go. But great question, mate. Thank you uh, so much for that one half. Uh, let's take this one uh, from John Knott. He says, what would you consider a decent price uh, for Bern Leno? Bern Leno, obviously somebody that clearly isn't part of the long-term plans at Arsenal, clearly doesn't want to be uh, the second choice goalkeeper, doesn't feel that that represents his value. Uh, last uh, season, he was, I thought at times, good in the sense that he made some really important stops and vital stops. But equally, he cost us a lot of goals. I think he made a lot of defensive mistakes. I think his distribution at the back was, you know, partly responsible for a lot of the issues that we had when trying to implement that new way of playing. He gave the ball away in dangerous areas. He didn't fill his defence with any confidence. And I think the emergence of Aaron Ramsdale since he signed has really kind of elevated us to another level in that particular department. So I don't think that Bern Leno is, is someone that we're going to really badly miss, if I'm honest. I think we probably would need to get in another goalkeeper to deputise for Ramsdale if and when he's unavailable. And with European football, hopefully back at the Emirates next season, you could do with another keeper. But what would be a decent price for Bern Leno? Well, when you consider that his contract expires, in June 2023, which means next season 
will be his last season under contract with the Arsenal. I think you have to say that if somebody came in with 10 to 15 million pounds, given the current climate, you would consider it and you would take it. Because with Bern Leno, you're not just getting in a transfer fee, you're also saving a huge salary, um, you know, which he's getting paid at the moment. You're, you're relieving yourself of having that commitment uh, every single week. So, yeah, look, um, anything between 10 and 15 million feels reasonable to me. Some people would argue it should be more. I would argue it shouldn't be. And I'd argue that if I'm saying 10, 15, I'm probably more towards the 10 mark because of the contract situation, because of the current climate, because of the situation on the continent off the back of this COVID pandemic. And because of the fact that he's not the number one right now, I think around about 10 to 15, but slightly more towards the 10. Um, feels like a, a reasonable amount to ask for Bern Leno or an amount that you should at least consider. Let's take uh, a couple more from Twitter and then we'll head over to the YouTube chat because I can see lots of you are putting questions in there, which is fantastic. Uh, Ramprasad says, if you weren't an Arsenal fan, which current Premier League club would you support? I know for sure it's not Tottenham. This is an easy one for me, um, Ram. I'm not a fan of this club, um, but I do have a little bit of a soft spot for this club because I was born very, very close to the stadium. I, when I was very, very young and my dad was working and I couldn't get to games, um, I went a couple of times to watch this team with a friend of mine from school. Um, and, and they're now managed by an absolute Arsenal legend and that is Crystal Palace. So I was, I was born and grew up, uh, well, I say grew up, I was there till about the age of eight, but I was down the road from Selhurst Park. So Crystal Palace would be the team that I would support if it wasn't uh, for Arsenal. But of course, I am an Arsenal man. I had no choice. I was brainwashed. I've told you all this story before. Um, and, and it's only Arsenal in my heart. But Crystal Palace would be, if you told me that I had to support someone else in the Premier League, would be the team for those reasons I've mentioned. Went there when I was a little kid. Um, grew up in Thornton Heath, just like Leon in the chat. Shout out to Thornton Heath. <laughs> um, I was down there, um, got to go to a few games when I was a little kid as well. So, uh, yeah, for me, it would be Crystal Palace. Easy, easy peasy. Uh, right, let's uh, let's take it over to YouTube now. We've got a couple of comments, uh, questions, sorry, on the uh, on the YouTube community post. So I'll just touch on those first and then we'll take the ones from the live chat box. But keep them coming. Keep filling up the chat box and I'll get through as many as I can uh, in the allotted time. Let's take this one uh, from Addy, who says, what are your thoughts on Martinelli? And do you think him going on loan in January would help him in getting more game time? Yeah, look, it feels like he needs... It feels like he needs more game time. You know, it, it feels like he is at that point now where he's too good to be playing at a lower level. He's too good to be completely overlooked and ignored. Too good to be happy with the role that he currently has at the club. But in my opinion, and this is just my personal opinion, is yet to do enough to say to Mikel Arteta, I absolutely 100% have to be in your starting lineup week in, week out. No arguments, no debates. And the way you've got to look at this is who would you have to take out of the team to put Gabriel Martinelli in? Would you take out Nicolas Pepe? Nicolas Pepe, who scores 
you know, far more goals, who scores, who contributes assists, who constantly makes things happen. And I know at times he can look a bit messy and he can be very frustrating. And there are Arsenal fans out there who are torn on Nicolas Pepe. But we are talking about a guy who last season contributed 17 goals in all competitions, 18 goals in all competitions. It's too much. It's, it, 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 it's too much in terms of what Pepe offers. You, you can't just push that to one side because you've got a hunch that Martinelli's going to do well and that Martinelli's going to go on to be the next best thing. Mikel Arteta needs results now. Half our bloody fan base are calling for his head. He cannot afford to hope that Gabriel Martinelli performs and delivers. He needs to go with more reliable options. And Nicolas Pepe, the numbers don't lie, as Bad Boy says in the chat, is far more effective at this stage. Emil Smith-Rowe, would you leave him out of the team? No, of course you wouldn't. We've all been waxing lyrical about him all season. He's been fantastic. Would you leave Bukayo Saka out of the team? I suspect the answer from most of you on that one would be no as well. Therefore, who are you taking out of the team to put Gabriel Martinelli in? And when you think about those three players that he could potentially replace, I don't think you can make a strong enough case that says he should definitely categorically start in front of any one of those three players I've mentioned. Therefore, he's not going to start games. And so he probably does need to go out on loan and get some football. I think it would help. I think it would be very helpful. I think he probably needs more than anything, a bit of kind of routine in terms of training, matches, training, matches, not training, sitting on the bench, training, sitting on the bench. He needs to be playing regularly. He needs to get into uh, a bit of a rhythm, a bit of a routine. And although he seems and comes across as a very confident lad, I'm sure that his confidence, having kind of looked as though he was going to burst into the starting lineup week in, week out when he first broke through, having kind of stagnated a little bit off the back of that injury, he must be questioning himself a little bit. So I think the confidence would do him good as well. So, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely spot on, Addy. I think a loan in January would do him the world of good. Uh, Jaminio says, uh, what one current Spurs player would you like most at Arsenal? If you'd have asked me this question three years ago, I'd have found this quite hard to answer. But to be honest, there are very few Spurs players that I want at Arsenal at the moment. I think they're dreadful. I think for me, the obvious two would be Kane and Son, right? You'd want, um, you know, you'd want one of them. I think. For me, it would probably be Son, uh, just because I feel like Kane is going for a bit of a uh, a rough patch at the moment. He's not scored in the Premier League yet, um, and he just looks a shadow of the player that he has been in years gone by, probably because he's not happy there, probably a bit of a hangover from what happened in the summer. But yeah, I think I'd go with Son uh, on that one. Uh, what else have we got? Um, at the YouTuber says, would a player like Tarkovsky Choose Leicester, who are offering the Europa League, or Newcastle next summer, considering he's available on a free. That's a really difficult question. Bit of a random one, but we said we'd take anything, so we'll take it. Tarkovsky, he's okay. Um, it's just a Sean Dyche centre-half. Very functional, uh, not particularly technical, I don't think. Leicester, you know... Let's, let's make no mistake about it. Newcastle have the potential to obviously gazump Leicester City and really kind of overtake them and, and start competing right at the top of the Premier League. They're the bloody richest club in the world now, but they've got a long way to go before they're going to get there. 
And if they're going to sign players like James Tarkovsky, if that's the kind of level or caliber of player that they're looking for um, at the during the early stages of this rebuild or whatever you want to call it, then I don't think that I don't think that they're going to get there as quick as some people think. So if I was Tarkovsky and I had real ambitions of going on and winning the Premier League, then yeah, I'd go to Newcastle because it's more likely they'll do it or at least be in a position to do it than Leicester will be in the coming years. What happened in 15-16 with Leicester? Fantastic, brilliant achievement, but it won't happen again. Money talks, that's the way the Premier League's going. And so if I was Tarkovsky, I would choose Newcastle uh, over the two. Um for the kind of more longer term uh, benefits. Uh, moving on, uh, I'll tie that one in with this one from Josh, who says, how many years do you think it will take for Newcastle to start competing? If you mean competing, do you mean as in for the Premier League title? I think you're looking at a three, four year project here. I don't think it's as easy as some people make out, you know, until players looking on from the outside, see the progress or see that you're moving in the right direction. Then I think that They'll still, regardless of the finances, be players out there reluctant to join Newcastle United because they haven't done anything for donkey's years. So that's how I see that. I think it will take time. I think they're going to have to start off by signing players like the Tarkovskis. Maybe somebody I heard somebody mention on the BBC Football Daily podcast yesterday, um, James, Tar uh, sorry, Calvin Phillips of Leeds. And that feels like the kind of player that they're going to have to look at first off. But Calvin Phillips ain't going to win you the Premier League. James Tarkovsky ain't going to win you the Premier League. So that's where I'm at uh, now. So I think it will be a three, four year project um, before we see Newcastle in a position where they can challenge for the Premier League. Uh, let's take this one uh, from Omar. Why have you changed your logo? I fancy the change. Sometimes I get bored and I change it up. Um, obviously, the podcast logo hasn't changed. I've just change the uh, profile picture, but you can see when you click into it that the Chronicles of Aguna logo remains there as it always will. Uh, Junior Gunner says, Harry, what are your top five TV series is in no order? I'm glad you said in no order because that'd be really tough. So I'm going to go top five TV series is Sopranos is definitely up there. I'm going to go with Game of Thrones might come as a surprise to you that I like Game of Thrones, but I do. I'm going to put Breaking Bad in there. I'm going to put Mad Men. And I'm going to put... Mm, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Those are the ones I'm going to go with. Yeah. Can't put them in an order. Don't ask me to because it's impossible. But those are the ones I'm going to go with. Um, and bear in mind that those are probably the only... Or five of the seven that I've seen all the way through so i didn't have a massive pool to choose from uh, line of duty is good as well uh ram mentions that in the chat as well right let's get over to the youtube chat now the live chat is popping off let's get some of your questions and uh, work our way through them just a quick reminder um make sure if you haven't done so already that you have hit the like button subscribed to the channel if you are new uh, we'd love to have you as part of the Chronicles of Aguna family. If you'd like to go one further, support me in bringing you daily Arsenal and football content. You can click on the uh, link in the description and become a member. It really, really does help. And as a freelancer, it gives me more freedom to spend more time on the Chronicles of Aguna. Right, let's see uh, what we've got here. Uh, Chris says, are the Serie A clubs and maybe La Liga too struggling for funds, etc., debts? 
will they, can you maybe find some good deals, maybe younger players' assets? Maybe there are some deals to be had. Yeah, look, I think that La Liga and Serie A have obviously been hit harder by COVID. I'm not saying the Premier League clubs have, and of course they have, but I think, and I've made this point on numerous occasions, and I made it quite frequently during the summer transfer window where we were talking about what players should go for or how much we could expect to receive from continental clubs for some of our own. And I constantly said that the TV revenue that the Premier League clubs get is so significant that it completely blitzes, outweighs, dominates, overshadows what they get from gate receipts. Now, that doesn't mean that it's in they, they get insignificant money from gate receipts. You know, we know that Arsenal make around about three million pounds a game. When you think about the fact that it's so heavily stacked towards the TV here in the UK, you can understand why the Premier League clubs were largely okay during the COVID pandemic. When you look abroad, that is not the case. The TV money is not distributed in the same way um, among all of the clubs. Um, And also, it's just not as big. You know, the, the pot is not as big and therefore... These clubs have a bigger reliance on what they generate from crowds, from merchandise, et cetera, et cetera, than our Premier League clubs do. So that's why the situation is is difficult. And I think there are a lot of clubs out there that if you go in and make kind of semi-decent offers for some of even their most talented players, their financial position means that they at the very, very minimum have to at least consider your offer. And that weakens those clubs. It strengthens the Premier League. And I think what you're going to see over the next few years, while people are continuing to kind of try and play catch up and reverse the impact of the COVID pandemic, you're going to see the gap between the Premier League financially and the rest of those leagues grow even greater than it currently is. And that's not good for football. It's not good for the European game, but it feels like that could be the case. I've got to say. Let's take uh, this one uh, from... Creambone, who says that, Harry, if you could bring in three players in the January window, no holds barred, who would you pick? Virgil van Dijk, Angolo Kante and Kevin De Bruyne. There you go. That was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Let's see what else have we got. Um, DMC Harper says, hi, Harry. Are there any players who made a successful comeback to the Arsenal? Well, Thierry Henry came back, didn't he, very, very briefly. you know, I thought that was a success. I thought he scored a really important goal at Sunderland in the Premier League. And obviously that goal against Leeds in the FA Cup, what a goal that was. Fantastic stuff. Uh, but yeah, you know, there aren't many. And, and Arsene Wenger was always very reluctant, wasn't he, to bring players back. Uh, you know, we had a couple. Sol Campbell came back, didn't he? Jens Lehmann came back. So we did it kind of when we re- were really desperate. We did it in emergency circumstances, but it's not something that Wenger did regularly. And as we know, even with someone as good as Cesc Fabregas, Arsene didn't feel that was the right way to go. So we didn't really see an awful lot of that to be able to make a judgment. But yeah, I would say Thierry Henry. Uh, Gazim says, thoughts on Fury versus Wilder 3, cracking fight, said yesterday it was like a fight out of a Rocky film and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Glad Fury won because I'm a massive Tyson Fury fan. I think he's fantastic. I think that a lot of the time people get obsessed with his character and forget that technically he's an incredibly talented boxer. Um, Very clever, very smart. Uh, Was rocked, obviously, by Wilder at various points in the fight, but he showed immense strength to bounce back from that. 
And if we're being completely honest, controlled the majority of the fight. So, yeah, great watch uh, that it really was. Let's see what else we've got. And apologies if I miss some, right? Because I am going to have to skip a little bit further down the chat just to make sure. Um, just to make sure that I can get a wide variety of questions because we've only got around about eight minutes left. Uh, Adam says, evening, Harry. Hope you're doing well. Been a while since I've been here. My question is, how have you been keeping? That's very nice of you, Adam. Uh, I've been well. Thank you. Um, still trying to cope with uh, less sleep. It's it's taking some adjusting. I, I, with my older one, I just got to the point where he was sleeping without any issues. And then you get back into that routine and you feel a lot better about everything. And, you know, you go back to normal a little bit more and you put him to bed early and you get an evening. And now it's like, there's no evening. There's no morning. There's no night. You don't get to sleep. And it's all flipping chaos in this house. So, um, I, yeah, to answer your question, I've been good, but it has been uh, a challenging month or so, i got to say. Uh, let's keep going. Um, Alejandro says, I'm a Liverpool fan. I would have Martinelli at Liverpool all day long. I guess his injury stalled the evolution of his way of playing. He's trying to get a feel for it again or start over. Interesting. Uh, Junior Gunner says, if Arteta fails to adapt a sustainable attacking setup this season, that will see us turn losses into draws or win or draws into wins. Should he carry on to the next season? H. Um, it's impossible for me to answer that in October. Because for me, I said at the beginning of the season that although I had some serious questions about Mikel Arteta, some serious concerns, especially after the way we got dumped out of the Europa League last season, for me, it felt it felt like it was he was at a point now where there was very little margin for error. And then we started the season the way we did with three, um, you know, really poor results, poor performances. And more questions were asked, and rightly so. And then I said that, well, I said all along that this season he was under pressure, but the first three games wasn't a big enough sample size for me. Things have evened out a little bit now, and I think now we're going to start to see where Arsenal are really at. Look, if there is no clear, visible improvement, then you move him on, okay? There's no point in wasting another season with him. He'd have had two and a half seasons by the time this one comes to an end, and then you can consider making that that move. But if he does continue to take us in the right direction and we continue to improve, there's no reason why he shouldn't stay on. Um, you know, we, we're not going to compete with some of the other clubs in terms of finances and we need to be looking for the long term. And we need, I think we will reap the rewards from a longer term approach in two or three years time. If we can just ride out this wave and the right man is in charge. And I think this season will give us a greater indication, uh, his second full season in charge, whether Mikel is that man or not. Akene says, Harry, apart from injuries, why are we saying that we don't want Ox? Well, I don't want Ox, partly because of the injuries, but partly because I don't see him as a deep-lying midfield player. I don't see him as someone that slots into our current system. I think he's okay in a 4-3-3 as a midfielder, but I'm not necessarily sure that you're going to see that all that often from Mikel Arteta. I still feel like when everybody's fit, when everybody's available, his go-to system is the 4-2-3-1. And I just don't see where Ox fits in that for me. So that's a reason aside from the injuries as to why I'm not keen on us re-signing him. Matt G says, would you rather Harry Kane's career or Jamie Vardy's career? I saw this um I saw this uh this question come up on Twitter from someone else a few days ago. And it was an actually really interesting debate and I was thinking a lot about it. Look, 
Harry Kane's obviously played at a higher level for a longer time. You know, he went on loan uh, a few times at the start of his career. But Jamie Vardy, for me, you know, I, I would pick Jamie Vardy's. I would pick Jamie Vardy's career. And, and these are the reasons why. First of all, imagine the pride Jamie Vardy must feel when he looks in the mirror and looks at the fact that he came from non-league football to firing Leicester City to the Premier League. Just imagine that. Just imagine how good that must feel that despite seemingly not making it at the highest level at a young age, you've been so good and so dedicated and so focused and so brilliant that you've managed to shoot your way up the ranks and establish yourself as a Premier League player. Now, establishing yourself as a Premier League player would be enough for someone who's come from where Jamie Vardy's come from. But to then lead Leicester City to the Premier League title the way he did, sensational. To then help Leicester win an FA Cup. You know, that's two trophies in the bag that Harry Kane doesn't have. And so for me, I think the route that Vardy's taken is something that will give him a lot of personal kind of gratification, a lot of, you know, he can take a lot of pride in that, in the way he's done it. It's not been handed to him on a plate. And I'm not saying it has for Kane, but Vardy's route was obviously a tougher one, a more grueling one. And now he's at at the highest level and he's won the Premier League. Doesn't get much better than that as a Premier League player. He's also won the FA Cup. Harry Kane has won sweet fuck all and plays for Tottenham, lose a hotspur. So, yeah, I would go with uh, with Jamie Vardy all day long. Um, Tom Hickey says, show my age here, but what centre forward, what centre forwards are out there at the moment that would be like having smudger back. That type of player would be exactly what we need, in my opinion. Proper target man to whom every ball sticks. So, Tom, I I don't really remember Alan Smith playing for Arsenal, but I do remember as a kid watching, and more recently as well, watching a lot of videos of the Arsenal 89 season, the season review video where it's got highlights from every single game, uh, watching the 1991 uh, 1990-91 season video as well. And look, Alan Smith was an incredible, as you say, target man, scored a lot of goals. The ball stuck to him. He brought other people into the game. He was brilliant. But I do think the game has evolved a little bit from Alan Smith. And I don't mean any disrespect to him because I think he was a great player in his day. I think he's a good pundit, good co-commentator, whatever. But I just think the game has evolved. And I think the game is a lot more complex and a lot more complicated whether that's right or wrong remains to be seen. Whether that's because coaches have overcomplicated it, I don't know. But I just think that for me, you need to be, as I keep saying, and I've said often over the last few days, a little bit more of a hybrid centre forward in that you can't just be a target man and you just can't be a fox in the box. You can't just be someone who runs in behind. You need to have different weapons, I guess, in your armoury. And I think that where Arsenal are struggling right now is that we've got two good strikers who don't have a wide variety of weapons in their respective armories. You've got Aubameyang who can run in behind and does that brilliantly and likes to operate in certain channels. Then you've got Alexander Lacazette, who's very effective when he drops that little bit deeper, but doesn't have the ability to run in behind, isn't particularly dominating in the air. And, and when you think about that, I think that's where Arsenal are struggling up top, is that we don't have a striker that possesses if not all of, most of the the kind of attributes that we require. So I think Smith, what Smith brought to the table 
we need that in a striker, but I don't think we can get away with having just that. I think the closest, we were talking about Yusuf En-Naziri of Sevilla on the show yesterday. Um, and I think he will give you that. He will give you that aerial ability that Smudger did um, because of his size and because of his stature, um, but also the technical ability that somebody else might give you and also the ability to run in behind as well. I think, and, and Junior Gunner mentions him in the in the comments. I'm not saying that they were even on the same level. Okay, so please don't take this comment the wrong way. But Junior Gunner in the chat has mentioned Marouan Shamak. And Marouan Shamak is proof that in modern day football, being just the target man isn't enough. You know, I think Olivier Giroud is a very good target man and has a lot of very good attributes, but didn't have that ability to run in behind and that restricted him. And and that's why he, yes, he's gone on to win things at Chelsea, but he's he's not going to be your go-to centre forward week in, week out, because I just think you need to be so much more than a target man in 2021. Um, but that again, just to reiterate that point, that's no disrespect to Alan Smith because I thought he was a fantastic player in his day. But even the ex-pros themselves would tell you that the game's evolved and the requirements now are different to what they were back then. So I don't think you could put an exact like for like in and expect it to work. But I get what you're saying in terms of some of the things that Smudger brought to the table for sure. Uh, let's take a couple more of your questions before we wrap it up. Uh, let's take this one. Uh, speaking of Shamak, uh, who would you rather take in their prime, Yaya Sonogo or Shamak? Oh, my God. Equally dreadful. Uh, but I'd probably take Yaya Sonogo, I think, because I think he's got a bit more about him. As People would disagree with that. They'll say that Shamak scored gold in the Champions League with Bordeaux, et cetera, et cetera. But he was just so bloody one dimension when he really got found out when he came um when he came to the premier league massively uh finally we'll take this one actually i'll take one more after this one because i've just spotted a good one um do you think lord bentner would thrive in our current setup lord bentner's just a head case and that's why he failed to kind of live up to the levels of expectation that perhaps followed him in the early stages of his career and it's such a shame when players fail to hit the heights because of things like that, rather than it being down to a lack of ability. Uh, this is the final one I'm going to take uh, from Guna JB, who says, do you feel Arteta style is too detached for Arsenal's combination, from Arsenal's combination passing philosophy? So do you feel Arteta style is too detached from Arsenal's combination passing philosophy? Um, look, it's, it's, it's different to the way Arsene Wenger um, built the club. It's different to what we became accustomed to during that two decades of his sort of stewardship reign, whatever you want to call it. But I think it's the way football is going. I think gone are the days where you could get away with just, you know, setting up a back four, couple of midfielders and saying to everybody else, the, the freedom of the pitch is yours. And I think that is the reason that Manchester United will probably will definitely, in my opinion, not win the Premier League title and not even be uh, there or thereabouts, I think. Because come the end of the season, there'll be too many games where they've given up stuff too easily because they weren't rigid enough, they weren't organised enough, and they failed to deal with tactical tweaks and nuances sort of facing 
or, or nuances that they faced from opponents that are now coached at a much higher level than they ever were with players that perform at a much higher level than they ever were. You know, we, we used to talk about Arsenal, Man United as being the only two sides. Now you look at the rest of the Premier League, there are just so many, um, you know, so many um, great players, great managers, so much money in the game that you're now in a place where, you know, even a game against somebody that you'd feel is a lower caliber of opponent will possess, will, will, or will throw up challenges that you need to always be able to tackle as a manager. And I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's got that. I think his philosophy is great on the eye. It's great for people to watch them, uh, you know, flooding forward and the interchanging in terms of their movement, but it just isn't complex enough for me. And it doesn't deal with the nuances and the, the tweaks and the, uh, tactical details that Manchester United will inevitably face, the, the kind of details that Thomas Tuchel, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola would spot and then try and react to. So, yeah, um, I think this is the way football's going. It is very different, but I think, look, that was, you know, we say it was Arsenal's philosophy. It was Arsenal's philosophy because Arsene Wenger was our manager and because he was there for so long, it became a part of the club's DNA. But each manager has their own philosophy and I I don't like this thing, you know, when you hear like Spurs fans saying, we don't want Nuno because we want someone who plays the Spurs way. West Ham do it all the time. The West Ham way. What the hell is the West Ham way? What is the West? Somebody explain to me what the West Ham way is. There is no West Ham way. There is no Spurs way. It, there is the manager's way. And when they had Harry Redknapp, that was... You know, in Spurs' case, that was swashbuckling, attacking, exciting football. Same with Maurizio Pochettino. And when Mourinho came in, that all changed. And sometimes what happens is you end up with a group of players that don't fit in with your way. And that's where the clash of philosophies come. But I don't think that you can get too bogged down, um, you know, in in this kind of thing. And, and Guna J follows that on by saying, you can't compare Wenger's tactics to Solskjaer's. Arsenal built the team structure around passing, which allowed us to control games. Yeah, look, I'm not comparing the two managers. I think Arsene Wenger's on a planet of his own when, compar when uh, comparing him to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. All I'm saying is that Arsene Wenger built a strong core and allowed players to be a little bit more expressive. Um, and that left holes when we were defending um, and and especially lat in the latter stages of his Arsenal career, you saw that. Um, you know, the point I'm trying to make is that football, in terms of allowing people to express themselves, seems to have been lost a little bit. And Arsene Wenger was very good at letting people express themselves. But in his latter stages of his Arsenal tenure, when he did let people express themselves, which is something he never stopped them doing at any point in his Arsenal career, we didn't have the defensive shape to then deal with what was coming the other way and to cope with the improved level of quality from the rest of the Premier League. And that's why we ended up going from title challengers to fourth place contenders to now where we are now, uh, because the, the level of the league has improved overall. And that's something that often gets overlooked. It's very easy to say Arsenal have been on, on a decline and this person's at fault and that person's at fault. There is a lot of that, but a lot of it is also to do with the fact that the league in general has just got stronger. Simple as that. 
Right. I am going to leave it there. Uh, thank you all so much for your fantastic questions throughout the show. It's been brilliant chatting with you guys, and I'm sure we'll do one of these again soon uh, when we get a free slot. It's been really challenging during the international break to uh, keep people interested, I guess, and, and keep the content flowing and coming. But hopefully we've done a good enough job of that um, to keep you guys at least occupied. Uh, a little bit during the international break. I'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, uh, take care of yourselves and uh, stay safe. All the best. Thank you and goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening.